0: Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Night On podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, have you been slapped today? Um, physically or like metaphorically? Um, both. I think, I
1: feel like metaphorically, we all kind of get slapped a little bit every day. Physically though, it's been a while.
0: Good metaphorical slap is something that can go a long way. You know, every once in a while, you just kind of need to stay on that right track. Metaphorical slap it can't happen too often. If it's happening multiple times a year, you're in trouble. But you know, maybe maybe once a year, every other year, something like that. Maybe something in your late twenties, just kind of you know keep you on the straight and narrow. Um, Will, in non-slap related news, which we're gonna actually talk, about the the Oscar slap scene around the world later in figuring it out. Uh, original plan was dogs, bro. Um, shout out Rex Chapman. We're gonna do that later in the week. Made the last minute switch to fighting and figuring out. So like I said, we're gonna talk about that. We're also gonna have Adam talk on to talk about NCAA tournament, Arkansas stuff. Wanna kind of put a bow on this, this hoop season, got into a little bit of Final Four stuff as well. Um, more important than all of that, <laughs> way more important. You got your Twitter account back. We're we're in business, man. You beat Twitter. We, we we are a podcast of guys who beat Twitter.
1: Yes, yes, we are 2-0. and oh. We beat the charges. Uh, we're back fully. Uh, yeah, no, man. I don't know. One of my buddies, like, I saw his old account, like, floating around, and I was like, wait, how did this happen to you? And he was like, oh, apparently the moderator who's on duty today is just really nice. You need to repeal your suspension. I was like, yeah, let's get it, let's go right now. So I did that, got a response, in 15 minutes had my Twitter back. It was the most bizarre thing in the world because my appeal wasn't even that I didn't do anything wrong. It was just like, please give me my stuff back. I'm not going to do it again." And they were like, all right, you goober, <laughs> here you go.
0: <laughs> how long were you without your your main Go So Hard Twitter account? By the way, for anyone that wants to follow Will on social media, which we have posted in the SDS Twitter bio, but that is go is in like G-E-A-U-X, so hard. Um, how long were you without your Go So Hard account?
1: since uh, I believe November 2nd was the last day. It was like, I, I my last couple of tweets were like angry at the CFP selection committee, which was like perfect. Like I logged in, I was like, wow, yeah, this is like a little time capsule in my brain. So it was very nice to like log back in, <laughs> realize how all those stories ended and be like, oh, wow, look at that. It all kind of worked out. Did
0: you fire off a Backstreet Boys tweet?
1: Uh, No, I, I went ahead it went through my media and deleted every video I could find, is what I did.
0: <laughs> smart smart probably good to avoid that um yeah nice to see that both of us are with twitter accounts we it's been very very rare to have that so good to see you back on firing off any and all tweets just not the the ones with any potential at dnc dnca that's what they call it, right DNCA dmca Violations. dmca yes, yeah, yes. DNC, dnc is not the
1: democratic thing. national convention
0: no dnc to either correct correct <laughs> just avoid all of those first thing i want to get to today the maddening case of kashan butte Will, you sent me a clip last week from, um, I'm going to mispronounce his name. It's Brian Cobble, I believe it is. Mm -hmm. Um, He he asked the very last question at this press conference with Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly didn't go viral this time, but in my opinion, it was much more of a significant development than any recruit he danced too close to, or maybe any word that he tried to pronounce with a Southern accent. Brian Kelly was asked about his relationship with Keyshawn Butte. The LSU receiver, the stud LSU receiver. There were rumors that Butte was in the transfer portal in December. LSU fans were just pretty much praying that they weren't going to wake up and see that he was transferring to Bama or something like that. That seemed very, very real. He tweeted out uh, to ignore the rumors and said that he was locked in. Oh, by the way, he also signed this fat new NIL deal with Gordon McKernan. And don't you know, he's staying at LSU. Look, That was the big development. Yeah, crazy how these things work out. Also tweeted three weeks after that, the eyeball emojis when Jermaine Burton announced that he was transferring to Bama. So kind of take that for what you will. Last week, Kelly is asked this question about a guy expected to be, in my opinion, one of the two or three best returning receivers in college football, the best player on LSU's roster. And Kelly starts with this. We're in the process of building a relationship I would say I know his last name right now. Then Kelly takes a long swig of water before continuing. Well, I never told you this story, but uh, my friends and family know it all too well at our wedding. Uh, Lauren and I wrote our own vows. We're writers. That's what we do. I was reading mine and telling the story of when I I first brought Lauren home to to my family and how I knew that's when I was in love with her. And reading these vows, I've got this book in front of me. You can kind of picture this at home and I'm reading my vows out of this book. And I said how me, Lauren and my mom were sitting at the kitchen table and how I couldn't wait for Lauren to leave. And then there was a long pause and buddy, The entire place erupted with laughter because when you say that your future wife is someone that you couldn't wait to leave, people, you know, their mind go to a million different places. Like, What's he talking about? Right. I was supposed to say that I couldn't wait for Lauren to leave the room so that I could see what my mom thought of her. But of all the places that I picked to pause, I picked that one. Bad idea. That's basically Brian Kelly here.
1: Right? Oh, a of genius all? joke, really. You're not giving yourself enough credit
0: because the timing of that's <laughs> great if you did it on purpose. Dude, I literally practiced that like probably a dozen times and I never paused once at that point. But for whatever reason, I decided with all the bright lights on me that that was going to be the place I pause. Bad idea. Bad idea. There's this great picture of it with my groomsman in the background just bursting out in laughter and me like trying to remedy the situation. Brian Kelly did not burst out in laughter in this situation, but of all the places to pause, he picked that spot. So we had three seconds in that moment to be like, wait, you just said that you, you know his last name? Like, what the Me too, man. Look at us. <laughs> yeah, look at us. We are we're, we see the world. We see Keishan Butte in the same exact way. And if you watch the rest of this clip, which is about like a minute and 20 seconds, Kelly goes on to say how Boutte is re-engaging with the team after he had his second ankle surgery. That was a newsworthy development. We didn't really know about that. Kelly said that this had been a rough spot for Boutte, and basically he tells us that he's been away from the team, not really around the facility like Kelly wanted. That's kind of more or less what he was saying. said that things were improving, the word he used, re-engaging. They talked in the training room. They said, you know, Kelly's like he's on top of his academics. He's making good progress physically. The rest of the stuff, ah, you know, we'll work it out. Between the two of us, when I saw that clip, I went, "Oh, buddy, mm-hmm. this ain't good. This is not good." What was your reaction as an LSU fan?
1: So, like we've talked about it before, and I think I kind of alluded this, alluded to this on the last podcast. But all of the other dumb stuff people got mad at for Brian Kelly, I think this is kind of worse. Uh, here's the thing about Brian Kelly: talking about pausing and jokes and stuff. You know, we have told Brian Kelly as a society. Dozens of times, it feels like, did you stop telling jokes? And his timing is horrible. He can't convey his messages. He needs to There's just, point. he needs to just not do the funny little cute thing. And the whole, I know his last name, ha <laughs> dude, stop. <laughs> like There was no reason for her to, for him to be like, oh, oh yeah, you know, we just generally, you know, he's trying to read, get like, the way he handled that was very reminiscent of old Brian Kelly. Very like, hate to say like, throw the players under the bus. Like those were kind of the issues that We talked about could potentially be an issue for Brian Kelly that we haven't seen anything for. But this was classic Notre Dame Brian Kelly. It was very like, instead of being like, you know, I'm excited to see him, excited to do whatever, it was like, oh, well, he's on our team. It's like, yeah, dude. It it might not be anything. And we understand that we need like a little bit more accountability in the football program for sure. And he obviously brings that. But at the same time, it's like, there's no point to doing the Phil Jackson here and trying to send a message to the media. Butte almost left this team, man. There's no reason to get on his wrong side immediately before camp even starts.
0: Before spring game even starts. On the surface, it's just a case of a star player and a new coach who are figuring each other out. Mm-hmm. If you kind of have your blinders on a little bit, you're like, ah, you know what? The, these are two guys who, who are coming from very different situations. Clearly there, there needs to be some sort of communication here and this will all be fine and this will be a non storyline That That could happen. This type of stuff absolutely happens all the time. We just don't hear about it because most coaches aren't stepping up to the podium and saying, I would say I know his last name right now. That's not the way this ever plays out. They make up some BS about how they're progressing in rehab and how they look forward to being a huge part of the team. There is an easy way in which that could have been a total non answer. while Kelly wouldn't even be lying by saying any of that. But instead, he went with that route and he decides he's going to try and play it off, whatever the case. If it's like this now, though, what's that relationship going to look like if lsu starts off three and two
2: mm-hmm.
0: will Boutte bail on kelly and just shut it down or will kelly turn his back on Boutte the second he voices any frustration because that's his old school approach those things are questions that are worth asking about with a guy who's one of the best players for training in all of college football either way though i find myself frustrated as someone who would simply just like to see kayshawn bootay catch a ton of passes and become the next great lsu receiver right mm-hmm. that Next great LSU receiver, no longer a punchline. We're no longer talking about these guys being better in the NFL compared to when they were in college. Okay. It's a real thing. You exploded LSU now and you go on to the NFL and everybody talks about you in a different sort of way because of Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. Butte didn't truly take off until the end of the 2020 season when Terrace Marshall, another guy pegged to be the next great LSU receiver, opted out. The last three games that year, basically unguardable, right? 27 catches, 527 yards, four touchdowns. Should have been five touchdowns, but he did the single most maddening thing there is that you can do on a football field, which is drop the ball before crossing the goal line. It was too good.
1: He had to he had to hold himself back. Had to put back the touchdown.
0: Welcome to the Keishon Butte experience though. He is almost too casual with it at times. And look, it's been pretty touch and go with him at LSU, partially because of stuff like that, and lately because of injuries. I was there when he went down against Kentucky. Looked bad from the jump, play on the sideline. It's an ankle deal on a seven yard play in a 21 point game boom, he's done for the year just like that. At the time, he was tied for the national lead in touchdown receptions. For another month, and I forgot about this, he was still first in the SEC in touchdown catches, right? Mm-hmm. Remember how we kept saying over and over like, oh yeah, like this quarterback, like who was it? Uh, who, it was somebody had more touchdown passes than like Bo Nix even though they had been out oh it was the Miles Brennan Nix thing a couple yep. years ago yep Miles that, Brennan yep. was having more touchdown passes than Nix, even though Bonix had another month after Miles Brennan was out for the year So, you know, like that's how good of a year Butte was having and albeit for an LSU team that was once again, not a contender, that three game stretch to end 2020 plus the six game stretch he had to start 2021 is ridiculous. The numbers that those nine games right there, 65 catches, 1036 yards, 13 touchdown grabs on a per game basis. In that nine game stretch, he averaged seven catches for 115 yards and 1.4 touchdowns. That's essentially two. 12 yards per game fewer than 2019 Jamar Chase, right? Mm -hmm. It's pretty darn good. Butte actually averaged one more catch per game than Chase did during that stretch compared to, you know, we're talking 2019 Jamar Chase, not his whole career. And he essentially had the same amount of touchdown catches per game. When he was out there, he made it look easy. I'll always be amazed when a guy knows he has someone beat after he catches a slant and the corner is maybe playing press coverage on him. and. Two or three steps after he kind of you know gets the edge and, and turns the corner, he knows he's gone. The guy has no chance of keeping up with him. Bute can do that with ease. He can win one-on-one battles on the outside. He's obviously not some physical freak like Julio, or Calvin Johnson, Amari Cooper, but there's really nothing he can't do at the receiver position. And so whenever someone lays out expectations for him it's hard to say it's impossible because that nine game stretch even though it wasn't within the same season was absurdly good in a time when you know we've grown pretty accustomed to watching absurdly good receivers in the sec this is the golden era of sec receivers right now if you're asking me to predict today yeah i would say bute would be the most obvious pick to lead the sec in receiving and i I really wouldn't think twice about that maybe you can make the case for cedric tillman in tennessee but i think that butte as long as he's healthy and he's right you would say yeah this is this is how it should play out then you see the goals that he has for himself and you would probably sign on for that as well he told uh jordy culotta that his goal was 1200 yards receiving 15 touchdowns and to win the Bulitnikov Award as the best receiver in college football. But he's also not happy that his record at LSU is 11 and 12. To be fair, it's more like 8 and 8 with the games that he's actually been on the field for. Mm-hmm. That's another reason, though, why the Butte thing and his emergence is so maddening. Jackson Smith and Jigba goes off in the Rose Bowl. And it's on a national stage. And uh, to be honest with you, if Ohio State's playing in a smaller bowl game, he's not getting the same kind of love coming into the year. But because it's the Rose Bowl and because you're without Olave and Garrett Wilson, we're talking about you in a different sort of way. But think about this. Butte shows up on campus right after, right after LSU completes the perfect season, right? What's the biggest stage that we've really seen him on so far? <laughs> like The shoe game, Florida 2020? Uh, 2021 Tiger Bowl? Yeah. You know? I mean,
1: I guess in a sense, like any ranked matchup in the SEC could be a big stage. But yeah, considering that LSU has not been good enough to hold up their end of the bargain,
0: Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Yeah. I mean, hasn't played in a bowl game is because it? LSU wasn't self-imposed bowl ban year one. And then uh, this past year, he was out for the year, of course, with the angle injury. So are out for the latter half of the season. But that's kind of the maddening thing about this is... You know, we're, we're really not seeing him shine when, for an LSU team that has been relevant. Whereas, you know, like you, you look at the start of his career and you think, oh, surely this guy is going to play in a bunch of big time games. I mean, even Michael Crabtree at Texas Tech was playing in some big time games, especially in the later part of his career. And we got to see him shine on that stage. And I'm not saying that Boute is in that same stratosphere just yet, but I'm also not saying it's impossible at this point. Boutte that night against, against Auburn, which I know LSU fans, you're trying to, you you want to get that out of your memory, right? Because, of course, the comeback, ridiculous touchdown grab. One of those many, many plays in which Max Johnson was like, oh, Boutte, single coverage, over-the-top safety, I don't care. I'm throwing a case on Boutte. That's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And Boutte does this thing that so few athletes do. Barry Sanders used to do it. They score a touchdown, and they are, like I said earlier, so casual about it almost too casual. It doesn't look like a big deal. There's not this rush of excitement. Some of these guys, you see him get into the end zone. It's like, whoa, have you ever been there before? This is the highlight of your life right now. He looks like a guy who has been there before the end zone. He has 14 total touchdowns in his first 16 college games. In his first 16 college games, three of those came in that 308 yard outburst against Ole Miss when he set the single game SEC record for receiving yards. And he did that as a true freshman. Mm-hmm. If we were look, if we, like, if we were just looking at that, we would pencil him in for another monster year without any thought whatsoever. But the health stuff maddening it is. I now find myself worried about a guy who had two different ankle surgeries in the last five months. I don't know if he's going to be the same guy in the open field that's not normal to see that back to back like that that tells me oh yeah this didn't really work out maybe it was a little bit different than what we originally thought or maybe he rushes rehab we we don't know the circumstances surrounding that but you're not supposed to have two surgeries on an ankle like that in the same in such a small time frame it sucks that we only got half a season of keshan bute in his prime so far even with that though his first two seasons 83 catches 1,244 yards, 14 touchdowns. I say this is maddening because I want to be excited about Boutte in 2022. He is going to be around what is easily the best group of receivers he's played with. And I'm including 2020 in that category as well, right? Cause even, you know, Marshall opts out at the end there but I think there's more depth in this group. It's totally different than last year when we're asking, oh, who's gonna compliment Boutte? Who's gonna be that number two guy? Which, I mean, amazingly, we had that question and it didn't really slow down his production at all. He was still unbelievable when he was healthy in the first half of the season. Even though Butte isn't going to have Max Johnson throwing him footballs pretty much every single time he runs a route, this is still supposed to be when we see him have a full season and maybe his biggest season yet. Pre-draft year. And look. I'm supposed to be writing about whether we see Butte put up a 2014 Amari Cooper or like a 2019 Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase type of season. And instead, I'm wondering if he's healthy. I'm wondering if he and Kelly are on the same page. And I'm wondering if Butte is going to stick around with LSU, if if it doesn't somehow get off to an incredible start. And I listened to Matt Moscone talk about this. I, I think Matt does such a great job making sense of situations like this Uh, He is plugged in at LSU in ways that I probably will never be, admittedly. Um, And I I I thought he brought up a great point. At the very end of Kelly's full answer to that question about Boutte, he said, I'm not that hard-headed. He's a good player. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, man. Thanks thanks for throwing that in there. Why couldn't you say that first? (laughs) Um, Matt brought up something that should make LSU fans breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief. Brian Kelly knows that making sure he's on the same page as the best player on the team is pretty important in year one. He he understands that. Bad joke aside, weird timing aside, he gets that. He fully gets that and you could almost see that switch flipping in his brain as he's coming out with that answer. That's also easy to say right now. And it might even be, uh, 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 I don't want to say it's totally easy for Butte to say this because we haven't heard him speak. I don't want to put words in his mouth. But if he were to speak, it might be easy for him to say that everything is fine and getting better with Kelly because it's also still in his best interest from an individual perspective and a team perspective to bounce back from surgery number two on that ankle, put it all together for a full season. But file this one for later. Remember how much actually playing football changes things with relationships. Mm -hmm. Before the start of the 2020 season, Tennessee is making sure it has Jeremy Pruitt's extension done. They wanted to get that pen to paper before week one. Let's make it happen. Three months of bad football later, Tennessee's administration is looking for excuses to fire him with cause. Things change. Football changes things. It's the way it always has been. It's the way it always will be. I think the margin for error here is really slim. LSU has a pretty favorable start in terms of strength of schedule with only one true road game in the first six games. Mm-hmm. None of those power five opponents they face won more than seven regular season games this past year. That's the good news. But there are a few things that could potentially blow up a full boute season. Obviously, another injury. If he hurts that ankle again, uh, we could get a Nick Bosa situation. People don't talk about that enough. Pre-draft season Nick Bosa 2018 Ohio State's undefeated to start the year. It's early. It's week three against TCU. They had national title aspirations, suffers a groin injury, and then he decides instead of maybe pushing that rehab up, potentially returning like late November, he's able to come back by the time the Michigan game rolls around, he's like, nope, I'm just going to focus on the NFL now. Yep. And we didn't really talk about that maybe and dissect kind of the implications of that, but. I think we're going to see more situations like that moving forward. We already saw Marshall opt out. We already saw Chase opt out. There's some debate as to how Derek Stingley's career played out. And I don't necessarily think you can officially count his, him as an opt out. But, you know, there's at least that question to be asked after he was ruled out for the season last year. Hold on. I why, th- don't, why doesn't Bosa get
1: more heat for that? It seems like guys are getting heat for missing a single bowl game more than that dude. Because you're right, that happened. You just like reminded me that happened. I, I, it happened at the time. I didn't even really question it. And it's never like, people are still mad at McCaffrey for missing a bowl game. And yet, that, I know.
0: he just disappeared. He, he, for three quarters of a season. And they lost the one game in the regular season. It was a, it was the blowout loss to Purdue, the Rondell Moore game. A typical and Purdue loss. You got to have one every year. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that Nick Bosa would have been the difference that night. But at the same time, yeah, this is a, a guy who had those NFL aspirations. And then when it was like, hey, you know what? Like, you're going to have this pressure to come back early. He's like, Why, why, why am I doing that? (laughs) Not good on the other side. Yeah, it's like, I'm good. And you know what? We might see more guys do that. Um, I I think when all these way too early mocks come out and that is coming out the second that the 2022 NFL draft ends, the least favorite thing that Todd McShay does, he admits Mm -hmm. that. When these way too early mocks come out, we're going to see Keishon Bute's name all over the place. He's going to be in all of these mocks. I'll be surprised if he's not. That'll only continue as the season gets closer. And to, to Butte's credit, like he's already shown that he can be pretty darn good when healthy. So this isn't necessarily just a, like a George Pickens type situation. I think the sample size is more encouraging from what we've seen from Butte. But I do kind of wonder could an early injury be a nail in the coffin for his season? Another potential development for a Butte season getting blown up. A mess at quarterback. Yep. I am I'm still holding on to my Miles Brennan stock. Every once in a while, some will ask me. Still have it. It's also worth remembering that Butte had nine catches for 101 yards in those three games that he had with Brennan. That's it. What about Jaden Daniels? Could he and Boutte form that connection? In a perfect world, that'd be happening in spring ball. But instead, bute is coming off of that second ankle surgery, so I would say that's anyone's guess at this point. bute's guy's in College Station now. Like, the guy who locked in on him and force-fed him targets, which, by the way, that's what every receiver wants. And when you get that for your first two years of college, yeah, might seem like that's what you should be getting all the time. I'm not sure if that impacted Boutte's overall mood with. With, with LSU after the, the, the Johnson departure wouldn't surprise me. Why wouldn't he be a little bit kind of miffed that your guy is gone now? So if LSU can't figure out the quarterback situation or there's some sort of divide in the locker room, that's bad news too. He is used to getting targeted like crazy. I don't know how he'd react if LSU were to lose a game wherein he only got five targets with some quarterback that he doesn't really have that on-field connection with. And the last thing that could blow this this Boutte season up it's lsu just not being very good maybe the offense is good but it's more losing and bootay hits a point where lsu is out of contention sec west aspirations up in smoke maybe he just says you know what this isn't what i signed up for i signed up to be the next jamar chase Instead, I've got three years of listening to people saying, what's wrong with LSU, even though, look, I'm not the problem. And his defense, he's not the problem. Mm-hmm. He's not the reason that LSU has plummeted in the last two years the way that it has. But uh, Moscona brought up how like, LSU's offense dropped by a touchdown when he wasn't on the field. He's going to have something like that in his back pocket if he's not targeted or if things aren't going well. And I don't necessarily blame him. Usually I kind of side with the team. It's like, hey, kind of get over it. His value is there. (laughs) It's painfully obvious to anyone who understands that American football is the game where you need players to score touchdowns and not goals. Anybody with two eyes can see that. All right. That's why I want Boutte to be right for one more year. I really, really do. But it's been maddening to watch this play out so far. Will, any thoughts on your guy?
1: Yeah, honestly, I think you did a really good job breaking that down. I, I think it's a couple of things. Um, I mean, I definitely, <laughs> I'm not apologizing for this bum team in LSU. Just to be honest with you, every single season, it's like, oh, well, yeah, uh, 2019, Joe Burrow's gone, but Jamar Chase is coming back, and he's gone. Nope, all right, Terrace Marshall's there, and he's gone. All right, Eric Gilbert, he's gonna be, and he's gone. All right, Kayshawn Butte, he's gonna, and nope, he's hurt. And so, like, it just feels like every time, like, you know, if, if this was even a year ago, I would have been like, oh yeah, like breakout season incoming, like based on, you know, all this different stuff. But it's like, you're right. It's like on one hand, you have Brian Kelly who, you know, has had a mercurial uh, relationship with some of his top players kind of ever. You know, if you get in the doghouse with him early, it's it's been proven that it's hard to get out of that. Um, and then, yeah, obviously we've had all these guys who have been these big stars and for one reason or another couldn't put it together. And I think, yeah, the QB battle is a huge part of it. Uh, I think that if you're Butte, you're rooting for Miles Brennan just because he's a guy who... Um, you know spread the ball around really well I think that he played really well when he has played when he's been healthy, which obviously hasn't been very often um, But yeah, Jaden Daniels obviously, you know any quarterback that is a dual-threat quarterback Obviously as a receiver you only benefit from one of those threats, right you like when the quarterback runs as a receiver is blocking So, you know for his numbers You'd kind of want Brendan to be there for the overall strength of the offense who really knows but from his perspective who cares? I think at this point, you know, he has one season left He's kind of probably just trying to get his number up have help, help get his numbers up, help LSU win, get to the next level. Um, And then, yeah, I mean, I think that you hit the nail on the head as far as, you know, Max Johnson and Jake Peets, like, they both had a very, like, I hate to say simplistic understanding of football, but it's like they were like this triforce. It was like Jake Peets, and Max Johnson and Boutte and it was like yeah the easy answer was always just chuck the ball to Boutte and I think that he's a great player obviously but you know that Auburn game you talked about it was just target after target after target especially in the first drive whenever they went to those scripted plays it was just Boutte, Boutte, Boutte over and over and over again and like I said I think that he's a very great receiver, I'm not discounting that, but that's why he plays a completely different style than someone like Jamar Chase, where Burrow was spreading the ball out to all these different weapons. With Bute, it was a lot of force feeding. And so yeah, I think that he's he's just been a victim of circumstance. There's no better way to explain it. I, I would love for him to have a big season, but there are just so many moving pieces but I would say, you know, for the good version of LSU to come out, for the, for the version of LSU that is up there, you know, flirting with even 9-10 wins, uh, Boutte is a huge part of that. He stays healthy. He is a leader in the locker room. He's a guy who, you know, is getting these numbers but helping his team win. And and I think that's got to be frustrating for him. You know what I'm saying? Because he sees all these obstacles, or he has to. I, I don't know him, obviously. But he would have to see all these obstacles between himself and where he wants to get and with that being injury and all these different things. But I'm really rooting for the guy. That's the best we can do, right? You know, just as fans of college football hopefully this guy can get back to his 2020 form um it's just you know this lsu season could be uh, any any permutation of 20 different things and after these last two seasons i'm not on the optimistic camp anymore <laughs> yeah
0: you can't be you, you really can't be and, and I, w- I would love to sit here today and say with full confidence that he's going to deliver one of the best seasons we've ever seen from an sec receiver i can't assume that at this point. You just cannot when there's already so many potential landmines to break down and who knows, maybe maybe everything will line up and this will end up being just kind of a, a little blip on the radar. We'll look back on this quote and go, hey, it was good, good for them. They figured it out. Those two guys got on the same page. they were able to have those conversations. He stayed healthy, which is a big part of this and maximizing his potential for a full year and LSU had one of the, you know, better offenses in the SEC. There is absolutely a path to that happening. If you had what? to pick one outcome, would it be
1: first team All-American Keyshawn Boutte or slaps Brian Kelly like Will Smith, Keyshawn
0: Boutte? <laughs> <laughs> Give me first team All-American. I'll bet on the talent. I'll still bet on the talent. Oh gosh. Brian Kelly, how many times do you think Brian Kelly has been close to getting slapped by <laughs>
1: I've been a lot to be honest with you. Even hearing his former players talk, it's like, you probably wish you would've slapped this guy, don't you?
0: I feel like Brian Kelly, this version of Brian Kelly would tell us if he got slapped in practice. He'd be like, oh yeah, one of my players slapped me silly today. And then he shows up with like this (laughs) red handprint on his face. Like, oh, you literally were assaulted today. Oh, thanks. Probably deserved it (laughs) anyway. Moving on from that, uh, we'll get we'll get to more slap content in a bit here, but let's first kick it to Adam Spencer. We've got the final four field set. They decided they didn't want to invite the SEC out of fear that the conference would win another title. Of course. Which, which it hasn't done in uh, a decade now. Uh, but anyway, we, uh, we dig into that. We dig into what Arkansas did to reach the Elite Eight by beating Gonzaga. Adam witnessed that in San Francisco. And then we talked a little bit about the future of SEC hoops and much, much more. Here is our guy, Adam Spencer. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Adam Spencer. Adam, I, uh, I appreciate you not blinding me with a highlighter shirt like the one that you wore uh, the other day, front row, San Francisco did you rock the highlighter
2: or highlighter sweatshirt? My
0: bad. Um, did you rock that so that you could identify yourself at some point during one shining moment?
2: I didn't even know I was going to be sitting courtside for that game because for the semi or for the for the sweet sixteen games, I was actually up in the auxiliary media section in the upper deck. So I just figured this is a comfy sweatshirt, and uh, I'm just going to wear this. And uh, but now, yeah, now I'm going to be looking for myself during one shining moment, and see if I have. I mean. I fit the definition, right? I was shining on uh, on Saturday night, so that's yeah. pretty fair. Yeah,
0: I was like, "Who's that idiot in the
2: highlighter?" Like, "Oh no, that's Adam. <laughs> that's Adam." No, I, I recognized it pretty pretty early on. I was
0: like, "Oh dang, Adam got." When you get that front row seat for those games, it just kind of like changes your perspective of that, like that to to be able to see it that close. And you, of course, got. What was um, not really that eventful of a uh, of an elite eight matchup, and then of course everybody was talking about you know what what Arkansas did against Gonzaga, which was an awesome game. So I, I want to start with that. Uh, I know it's a familiar end for Arkansas with the elite eight loss, um, maybe to a team that's going to win the national championship. That Gonzaga game plan that Eric Musselman had was. Awesome. I mean, they attacked Nebhar. They they got Chet in foul trouble. I don't think that we should lose sight of what Arkansas did to get that win because as great as this two year run was, you know, four of the five NCAA tournament victories that Arkansas had to that point came against double digit seeds. The one that didn't succeed, Texas Tech. But beating exactly the way that they did, to me, said a lot about Eric Musselman. It kind of moved him up into an even higher echelon as a rising coach in this sport. And I'm guessing it did for you as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's absolutely, like, he set the bar for that program now. Like, now Elite 8s are the expectation instead of the exception. And that's where Arkansas should be. You know, this is a proud program. You know, Nolan Richardson got him to the top. Uh, You know, he had him in the final four in 95. He won it all in 94. So Arkansas can be and should be a consistent title contender. And Musselman has him there. And momentum is trending in the right direction in Fayetteville. You know, he's got an elite recruiting class coming in. Uh, You know, he's probably going to have Jalen Williams back. Uh, I I would guess that Jalen would declare for the draft and then keep his eligibility and see what the NBA is saying about him Uh, and, you know JD Note, he's uh he's probably going. He still has one more year, I believe, if he wants it. But uh I would say his draft stock's not going to get any higher than it is right now. So I would potentially expect J D to leave. But uh then they've got one of the top recruiting classes in the nation coming in. Uh you know, they got Nick Smith coming in. He's gonna be an instant impact player. So Elite Eight is going to be the bar again next year. And that's just where Musselman has this program and that's a great that he's done a great job in a short amount of time
0: feels really sustainable. All the points that you just brought up there. And I lost sight of this as well this year, because sometimes you see the familiar faces and it's like, Oh, Jalen Williams is out there. We knew that note was playing a big role for this team last year as well, but you know, it's, it's very easy to forget lost three of their top four scorers. And to get back to an elite eight, one of two programs in the country to do that Houston being the other, it's just not a given that you're able to have that kind of success with very different teams. And now I feel like, as you said, this should be the floor for Arkansas. If there's one thing that can prevent that from happening, one thing that could prevent Arkansas from being at this spot, this is the early expectation that could potentially be a snag. What do you think that is?
2: Um. the freshman not panning out you know there's uh there's we we saw this sort of with uh with cal and even with uh coach k a little bit you know john calipari used to just get the most talented freshman that he could get and just roll the ball out there and say go play fellas and uh that worked uh that doesn't work anymore uh that coach k's found that out like this year duke has you know, Wendell Moore is a junior. Uh, you know, Mark Williams and Jeremy Roach are sophomores. Uh, so you know, they don't rely entirely on freshmen. Uh, Kentucky doesn't rely entirely on freshmen anymore. Uh, you know, so Eric Musselman, the the key to this team was yes, J.D. Note was back to lead the team. Jalen Williams stepped into the Justin Smith role, uh, but the key to this team was Stanley Amude and Audis Tony. Like yeah. Audis Tony was the one that was the one that got in Nimhard's back pocket and just didn't let him get any head of steam up in the court and just made his life miserable for 40 minutes on, on Thursday night. So players like that, the the transfers that you get and just not necessarily like the big name guys, but like guys that fit your system. And he, and Eric Musselman found guys that fit his system and That's what he needs to continue to do, even as his national profile rises and he's going to get more five-star freshmen. You have to take the right five-star freshmen, and you have to pull the right guys out of the portal. You can't just go get the biggest names and hope that they're going to gel with your system. But I think Musselman's smart enough to know that, and I think that he's going to do a great job moving forward with the Hogs yeah, it's
0: a, it's an interesting model because it's a little bit of a it's kind of a hybrid of, of both of going out and getting a guy from South Dakota, getting a guy from Jacksonville University. like this isn't necessarily. The way that we saw it done 10 years ago but at the same time it's almost like his ability to evaluate talent is what could potentially separate him and seeing these fits within his program and again like like you said not everybody has been able to kind of work out there but at the same time it does kind of feel like he has sort of cracked the code of how to be this this modern coach how to play a style that that your players actually buy into, you know, at the same time, you look at all these different things and you you heap the praise on Arkansas. I, I do wonder a little bit, a little bit at least if that upside, that national championship upside is there after seeing what it looked like with Baylor, after seeing up close what it looked like with Duke. Arkansas's loss meant the SEC Will be without a men's national title since 2012. That Kentucky team is the last one to do it. Haven't had an SEC team in the title game since 2014. Kentucky, of course, undefeated team, end up losing to Wisconsin. Who is the most likely team to end that drought? Or maybe the better way to phrase that, that question is like Arkansas or the field to end that
2: drought, who would you take? Right now, it's Arkansas. <laughs> you know, I think that, you know, they have the momentum. When you get an Elite Eight, and then you get another one the next year, like players see that, they know that that's a level of success that is attainable. Uh, You know, they see the kind of guys that go to Arkansas and become better players. And uh, that's, that's an exciting thing to do, but uh, I do think it's close. Like there's, you know, Kentucky could win it all again, real quick. Uh, You know They're going to get another talented team in there next year. That's just the way Kentucky is, you know, Uh, Tennessee, Rick Barnes is good at accruing talent, Uh, you know, a team like Auburn. I think Auburn, Bruce Pearl is a heck of a recruiter. He's a heck of a transfer portal. Uh, He's drawn some big names from the transfer transfer portal in recent years too. So, you know, don't count out Auburn. Don't count out even Alabama. I think Nate Oates is going to learn a lot from this year. And I think he's going to bounce back. And uh, I am on the record as saying, I think Todd Golden is going to hang a final four banner at Florida within the next four years. So there's, a chance the Gators could do it too. You know, there's a lot of good basketball in the SEC right now. Texas A&M is two wins away from an NIT title. And if you win the NIT, that's momentum that you can carry over into the next year. So there's a lot of reasons for optimism all across the league right now. I agree with that.
0: I also wasn't really crazy about the, uh, the Bruce Pearl quote about the SEC beating up on each other. And that that's why that they had you know, this type of running in the like tournament, because like, it doesn't hold the SEC back in any other sport. All right. And we would laugh you out of the room if you said that in football. Okay. And it just, I just think it's as simple as like, the league has gotten better and the March success has not coincided. And it's a really hard tournament to win. It really, really is. But where do you kind of land with that? And what do you make of the way that it's played out? Not just this year, but now looking back and realizing, wow, it's been eight years since an SEC team played in the national championship.
2: Yeah, I I agree with you on Bruce Pearl's quote. Like it just it wasn't great. I, I mean, the big twelve, look at the big twelve. Like they had like eight teams make the field and uh it, it because but like that was a really tough league to win and they sent more than one team to the sweet sixteen. So yeah, you know, it, it's 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 just, it just fell flat for me. I just didn't like it. You know, the big 10 every night is a, is a battle. The ACC most years is a battle. It was a little weaker this year, but now the teams are showing, you know, they got three teams into the elite eight. So, and two into the final four. So, you know, that every league is tough. Uh, You you just got to rise to the top and, you know, like you said, the success just hasn't been there from the SEC, just like it kind of hasn't from the big 10, you know, 2000 was the last time the Big Ten won a title. It's just like a really hard title title to win. You're right. And uh, the ACC just seems to be better at it than everybody else. But that doesn't mean, uh, you know, it can't change in a hurry. Yeah, it's,
0: it's kind of weird that, that three power conferences now are working on a drought that's going to be a decade plus with the Big Ten. 2000, Pac-12, of course, 1997, that Arizona team. And, It is uh, it's always interesting to see the way that coaches will try and spin that because Pearl is the same guy who's saying before the NCAA tournament, hey, if you're nine and nine in the SEC, that means you deserve a bid. And then after the tournament, he's like, well, you know, we all beat up on each other. And, you know, that's why we didn't perform well. It's like, well, you can't can't really have uh, both worlds in that. Um, I I do think that we overplay results in the NCAA tournament too much. But at the same time, we talked about this beforehand and, and with Cal. Not getting it done with this team was going to impact his legacy, it just was. And maybe history will look back on this and we'll say, you know what, it was just St. Peter's having a a George Mason type run, and we'll look back, like, you know what. Mike Krzyzewski lost to a 15 seed. Tom Izzo lost to a 15 seed. Like it happens. It's just a one-off. This tournament yields that type of result every once in a while. And this isn't the sign of a bigger picture thing. But at the same time with this team and the timing of it is key because you can be the coach who, who wins and goes to four final fours in a five-year stretch. That's all well and good. But when you're seven years removed from that final Four people are going to start asking questions. What's what's the tweak that Cal needs to make? Is, is it with the offensive spacing? Is it adding more shooters? Like, what's the thing that's going to be able to get this Kentucky team over the hump and kind of back on that track record that they were used to?
2: Yeah, it's adding more shooters. He's got to continue to embrace the three. Uh, and he's got to do it when it counts. You know, he, he kind of got away from that in that St. Peter's game. They started tightening up offensively, and, uh, you yeah, know, that's just not, going to like you got to play loose you got to like the players have to know that if they miss a three that they're not going to get benched right away and that hasn't always been the case at uh at Kentucky um so it's just you you just got to embrace where the game is going or else you know if that seven year streak becomes eight years that's a long time in Lexington there's going to be some discussion uh, warranted or not about whether the game the modern college basketball game has passed cal by or not you know but you're right you know the great coaches do lose to 15 seeds Izzo, calipari uh you know we've got uh, Schuchowski. Schuchowski, uh frank hate you know all the great teams, uh, <laughs> <so. laughs> I you get that joke
0: in there. Yeah. 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 That's got to land. Of course. Um, <laughs> our, uh, our social media manager, Alex, threw out a really interesting question. And uh, it was, it was top five sec basketball programs moving forward. And it's a pretty clear top five now, especially with LSU dealing with will Wade fallout. So it, it looks pretty obvious, at least in this juncture and before Florida actually, you know, gets um, games with, with Todd golden, all those different things. So, We both agreed Arkansas at number one. Then you had uh, Auburn at two, Kentucky at three, Bama at four, Tennessee at five, with, like you said, Florida rising into those rankings soon. The timing probably impacts that response, but explain your logic for Auburn at two and perhaps not being as high on Tennessee's future with
2: only having them at five. Uh, The Tennessee thing is simple. I I just think, you know, if we're talking about like the next five years, is Rick Barnes still going to be coaching and? in five years that's that's my question there he's getting up there in age how many more years does he want to do this um that that's all the the Tennessee thing I think he's a great coach I think he's brought in a ton of talent to Tennessee the results haven't been there in the tournament but you know when when you snap a streak since 1979 of winning the SEC tournament you win the SEC tournament that's a successful season like don't get me wrong that is a successful season at Tennessee but yeah, the results haven't been there in March, but that's my only question about Tennessee is just how long does Rick Barnes want to keep doing that? So I, I knocked it, I knocked the vault down to five. Um, and Auburn, I'm just, you know, Bruce Pearl gets talent. You know, he's got another, uh, good player coming in, in this recruiting class, you know, he's going to bring some guys in through the portal. Um, you know, I bet it'll be interesting to see if Walker Kessler sticks around, he's getting some like late first round buzz. Um, you know, so we'll see what happens with, uh, with Auburn's uh, draft decisions. If uh, Alan Flanagan, if he comes back, I mean, he has a chance to really put this past year behind him when he clearly wasn't at full strength. He was just grinding it out. So I'm higher on Auburn's future a little bit. Uh, you know, Calipari only needs one good year to get the critics off of his back. And uh, you know, I'm, um, I think that uh, they Kentucky's always going to have talent. It's a brand name. He's always going to be able to get talent in there. And uh, Nate Oates, I just think, is just going to, like I said earlier, he's going to learn from this past year. He's going to get guys in there that are a little more consistent, uh, that fit his system a little bit better. And uh, I think that the future is bright in Tuscaloosa, too.
0: Who do you think is at their respective program the longest then? Musselman, Cal, or Pearl, keeping in mind, like I and I picked those three. I figured that was fair because they're all kind of really similar to age in age. Mus is 57, Cal 63, Pearl 62.
2: I think Bruce Pearl will be around Auburn until he decides he doesn't want to coach anymore. So I think he's got like another eight years left in him. Um Muscleman is an interesting one. I think he could become a Arkansas lifer. Um, or i could see him like jumping back to the nba you know he's been an nba head coach before so you know i don't I know you know we'll see if he continues to enjoy the transfer portal grind the recruiting grind uh you know or if the if the call to the pros comes again because he's going to be a name on a lot of radars now for big time openings and arkansas is a big time job like i'm not trying to shortchange that but uh you know, there's going to be a lot of uh, blue bloods calling. There's going to be some potential NBA interest if he continues to put it up. So, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll say Bruce Pearl is at Auburn for the rest of his career. And that's my pick.
0: Yeah, nobody's going to make this comparison. Um, but the, there are some Jim Harbaugh type type vibes with the Muscleman NBA conversation of being a guy who is now um, coached at both of those levels. And Harbaugh, like the intrigue of wanting to go back and, and of course the interview with the Vikings. And I'm not saying that Musselman is is at this place at all. Arkansas fans not saying that, but if that situation were to present itself where Harbaugh kind of wanted to right the wrong of the San Francisco 49ers, the way that that played out. And you would, you'd be like, all right, well, that's what you're negotiating against. You're not worried about him leaving necessarily for another program. I think he would be, if he's in college, he's out in Arkansas, but that's going to be the thing moving forward with Hunter Juracek is, ah, do I have to worry about this guy? Maybe scratching that itch again after the way that it fizzled out with Musselman in, in the NBA and the pro ranks. Um, one question on uh, new SEC coaches um, trend that has played out pretty clear. and Brandon Zimmerman did a great job of kind of outlining this, that you know, five of the six coaches, Um, new coaches in the SEC do not have power five experience. Only one who does is Mike White, of course, goes from Florida to Georgia. And we're seeing this interesting trend play out. And I'm curious if you think it's for this specific reason, how much do you think the transfer portal and trying to get these guys from mid majors or smaller schools and how much emphasis there is now on building roster talent that way has impacted this and has made these SEC programs say you know what we don't necessarily need to get the guy who's got the power five experience we don't care if you came from a really small school if you play a style of offense that you can recruit to and you can go out and you can get those guys then that's what makes the most sense for us how much do you think that trend has kind of
2: played out with this cycle i think that's huge um and also you know with golden too like he's in he's a gym in the uh analytics community you know and i think that the basketball is going to go that way like golden's offense at san francisco was an analytical dream uh you know so i think he brings that to florida um he brings you know yeah you you see all the, the you know like a Wendell green uh you see a stanley Amude. you know you see these guys come over from mid-majors and have big impacts and big games you know kellen grady at uh at kentucky so that's a swear right now i wouldn't say that too loudly kellen grady that's <laughs> oh yikes yeah but uh but he, you know, that's, that's what you're trying to build. Like I, I looked into the numbers since 2015, when Duke won the title, the past five national champions championship winning teams have not had a freshman among their top three scorers. Mm. Uh, they, so it's a, it's freshmen are great. And, you know, Duke could break that cycle this year with Palo, um, obviously being up there and, uh, AJ Griffin being up there, but, uh, experience is so important in March Madness specifically because Villanova, you know, you see like Jay Wright gets his guys, they play together, uh, you know, and then like every three years they're in the final four. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's like clockwork, you know, he, he gets his guys and they, Kansas is a veteran laden team. Ochai Ab- uh, you know, David McCormick, they've been around. Uh, you know, I think that that's what Cal was missing this year was kind of a, a key player who had been around. This was Sheboy's first year. This was Wheeler's first year. This was Grady's first year. And then you, you know, Ty Ty was so important, but he could, you know, you can have a freshman like that if you have the support around him, kind of like Arkansas last year. Yeah. They had a good team. And then Moses Moody was the X factor. Um, And, you know, you can build a team like that. And that's kind of what Duke has done with Wendell Moore being like a leader on that team and Mark Williams and Jeremy Roach knowing a little bit about the system and then you can plug Palo and AJ Griffin and, uh, and Trevor Keel into that. So, yeah, I think you're right. Like that's the kind of stuff that mid majors have been doing for years now uh, to build that system. And then like every four years, like making a tournament run with a senior laden team. And uh, so that's going to become a trend, I think, at the SEC with this current uh, hiring cycle. You're right.
0: Final four. Um, Everyone's talking about UNC Duke. I get it be weird if they weren't i wanted to check in with you and uh make sure you're still all right after what kansas did to miami in the second half of that game it just felt like they were they were just trolling you with every single shot every single and one i know you love it when players yell out and one as it's going down that's your favorite thing as well like that just felt like they were and especially doing it in the state of illinois i mean that gosh you probably watched that second half and just like we're sitting there biting a towel or something
2: the dagger to my heart, Connor. It was a dagger to my heart. Uh yeah. I I was so excited after that first half. I was like, all right, I picked Miami to make the final four in our in our uh re pick of yes. this. And uh, and uh, and I was I was so excited. They were uh, twenty minutes away, but uh what a what a disaster of <laughs> the twenty minutes that was. Uh yeah. So I I'm picking Kansas to win it all now. You know, my previous picks have been Kentucky to win it all and Arizona to win it all. So, uh, so, you know, with, uh, with that in mind, I'm picking Kansas to win it all now. Kansas Duke national championship is your personal hell, right? Oh yeah. And that's, so. of course that's, what's going to happen. It's, (laughs) it's, 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 it's as destined as a coach K's final season has been.
0: Would that, though, kind of make it all right, though, to see Coach K come up short in a national championship? I, I've tried to figure out if there is a good scenario for the way that this played out. Obviously, like, everybody had the tweets before the Elite Eight matchup. We're all hogs. I get it. Um, I, I'm trying to think if it would be more satisfying to watch him lose to UNC one more time or if watching him lose to Kansas. Because if I lose to Kansas, then i win my bracket pool because I had Kansas winning it all originally, not in our repick pick bracket. But I don't know, man. Like... <laughs> You, you were there, you kind of saw the pageantry of it. Does it feel like Team of Destiny type vibes if you were a betting man, like and, and not just picking with, with your heart in mind, but if you were putting down money on this, and I, I don't know what the updated odds were, but I was blown away that it was only Duke plus 1,400 or something like that in the Sweet 16. But if you were a betting man, Duke would have to be the favorite, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, just Palo Bancaro is, as cool as a cucumber, like nothing, nothing phases that guy. Uh, Mark Williams is a menace in the paint. Like he, he only blocks three shots against Arkansas, but he altered at least a dozen just because of his presence and his wingspan there in the lane. And just, uh, so like that, that's a great combo. Jeremy Roach has proven time and time again, this tournament that you want the ball in his hands late in games. Uh, you know, AJ Griffin, I just, I really like this. uh, I really like this Duke team. I hate that I'm saying that, but I really like this Duke team, and I just don't think anything is phasing them. And I think Coach K can sense that. I mean, he was just like beaming with pride during the press conferences. He was like, "Look, like this this team has grown up so much this tournament." I think, I know it's and it's true, but. You know, I think that, you know, you saying uh, Coach K losing to Kansas might make it all right. I think you underestimate my hatred of Kansas. I'd rather, <laughs> see, I'd rather see Coach K cutting down the nets than Kansas cutting down the net. So that's where I stand on that. That's perfectly fair. Adam, great
0: stuff. Coverage has been awesome. Uh, really, really cool to see. Getting that opportunity in San Francisco. Uh, we'll, we'll probably talk. We'll have to talk some Mizzou stuff here. If we get JT Daniels to Mizzou, like emergent potential emergency podcast at least in inter we would definitely have to to break down some jt daniels stuff but appreciate it as always and i'm sure we'll be
2: talking hoops probably sooner than i expect <laughs> sounds good all right thanks for having me on what's my destiny mom you're
1: gonna have to figure that out for yourself life is a box of chocolates for us You never know what you're going
0: to get. Figuring out. Today, we are talking about fighting as an adult. Like I said, we will. (laughs) Very topical. Uh, We're going to save dogs for later in the week. I initially posted uh, in the Saturday Night on South podcast Facebook group. Go join that if you have not. That the figuring out question would be about dogs. Owning dogs as an adult. Uh, Later in the week, a lot of great responses to that. And I promise we will get to that. But because everyone is talking about um, not so much fighting, but about slapping a grown man, um, I figured this would be a great time to discuss it. We've got pretty like, these are basically Zapruder film breakdowns of the Will Smith, Chris Rock slap. Were you watching this live when it happened?
1: No, I was watching the Pelicans beat the Lakers
0: actually. Oh, on the West Coast?
1: Yeah, yeah, that was the uh, biggest comeback in Pelicans franchise history. It was a twenty-three point comeback to beat the Lakers at halftime. So,
0: okay, so if you were watching that, did you flip over immediately when you saw it show up on your feed, or was yep, it
1: like nah, exactly, yeah, it started. Okay. They started spilling in as the game was kind of ending. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I, I missed it. I, I love going to bed early on Sunday nights, getting an early start on the week. Um, on monday you know busy day got a podcast to record do writing i got radio duties as well plus i like to be able to sneak in a little early morning early morning workout sick brag i did not see the slap live just woke up to an entire twitter feed that when must have been really w- confusing if you just popped oh, that out of bed
1: checked your twitter feed. like, oh this must have been some kind of a skit huh
0: it was weird because so um on a few days a week um my wife is in um, an adult swimming. She's on an adult swimming team mm-hmm. and they wake up early, like real early. She's, she's out of the house at five in the morning on Mondays. Um, and so I woke up in an empty bed at six fifteen in the morning and I'm just scrolling through all of these, these slap tweets, just yeah. like literally everybody. That's all that's being talked about. It was, I, w- I actually started counting the non slap related tweets that I would see. And I'm like, that's kind of weird. I don't know what they're doing talking about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, anyway, I don't know why I had to tell that backstory, but it was just, it was a very weird thing to wake up to mm-hmm. as well. Um, if, if it was fake, job well done. <laughs> there,
1: Doesn't there seem are, so. That would be the upset of the year because that seemed very hate filled and real.
0: I'll be honest. It did. And then the second video that came out where they saw in the commercial break, about you know being consoled and all those different things with like Denzel Washington there as well kind of made you think it was real. There is nothing though that people like to pretend to do more than like be an expert on any sort of physical combat. Yes, hundred percent. Right? Yeah. The people on Twitter who don't talk a second about boxing, but then every time there's a a a big fight, they're basically live tweeting. Oh, I haven't scored this way. Like, yep. Okay. Sure, sure you do. I'll take your I'll take your word for it. If it was fake, unbelievable job of selling it. I am not the first person to make this joke, but if it was fake, give Will Smith another Oscar. <laughs> he looked pissed, man. I am mm-hmm. team real all day. Will Smith, in my opinion, would have broken at some point during that. If if that is entirely just one stage thing for ratings. I know records. Ra- ratings were at a record low last year, so people were saying, "Of course, this is the perfect stunt." It was a pretty lackluster award show. It's been going down a hill for a long time. Look, I'm team real. Unless I see something definitively to say that it is fake, I I think Chris Rock was rattled. Everyone's like, "Well, how come he didn't fall to the ground, or why didn't like, why didn't he he move his feet if it was real?" I don't think it's fair to assume that anyone is supposed to act a certain way in these moments.
1: I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm shocked honestly that that didn't just totally take him out because if you if you watch the video as we all have in slow motion, it's like he almost kind of like is leaning forward with his hands at his side, and so it's like you get one free tee off to just knock him out, and like it, the way that he handled that was so pro too because he was just like, I just got the crap slapped out of <laughs>
0: me. I think he use a shock. I think he used a yeah. shock. It, look. We can we could talk about what we would do in this spot. Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Yes. Right? Mike Tyson knows. We all react differently. And honestly, having Will Smith come up to you as you're telling jokes at the Oscars is literally the most unrelatable situation ever. Yep. So I don't think any of us can assume that Chris Rock is supposed to act a certain way in that moment. I'm actually listening to this true crime podcast right now. I promise this relates. Um, It's called The Thing About Pam. Really, really good. Dateline NBC. One of the things that they mention is how they'll have spouses discover their loved ones dead or just attacked and how you can honestly never tell who's guilty based on the 911 call. They've had hysterical reactions that have been fake. They've had hysterical reactions that have been real. And they've also seen calm people who are innocent and they've had calm people who were incredibly guilty. You just don't know. You just don't know how you're going to react in a spot like that I don't think we can really know. I don't know if we're ever gonna really truly know. Will, as someone who has taken a punch before (laughs) in a non-sanctioned setting, what was your initial reaction when it happened to you?
1: Oh, oh yeah, so that's the wraparound. So I'll just go ahead and tell the story. Uh, So I'm yeah, so this was, gosh, like NBA playoffs last year. I just randomly missed a couple of episodes and it was because I got sucker punched at a Hawks game. Uh, I was with my buddy who is a Sixers fan. He's a little bit inflammatory of a guy, but he wasn't really doing anything wrong. He was, there were was some guys crowded around the bathroom, like the bathroom exits. They're kind of those tunnels. And the Sixers is just lost. He was wearing Sixers gear, so he kind of pushed past some people. Like, didn't do anything threatening, but they were, like, blocking the door to get out. So he pushes past these people and just gets stuck. And I was like, oh no, because he's like a smaller dude and there were like more people or whatever. So I kind of like run over to him to help him out and kind of like push this guy off him and was like, hey dude, like what's up? Like, what? Why are we doing this right now? I get stuck in the face. I was like, uh, okay man. So I don't know if I, I've even talked about this on the podcast. I did amateur MMA for two years. So like I've been punched in the face a lot, man. So it, it doesn't really like, it never really rattles me. It's something, it's it's like, you know, you never get ready for it, you know what I'm saying? Unless you're like, like, like in a fight fight. But um, I was like, okay, cool. I've just been punched in the face. And I like looked at this guy and I was just kind of like, I like, put my hands up. I was like, hey man, uh, not doing this because I didn't want to go to jail. It was obviously, they were like police all around us. So if you get stuck, it's one thing, but if you have like a square off fight and people start to gather around, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, in trouble. That's when you get like arrested. So I was like, hey, like I literally looked at the guy and <laughs> immediately go, you feel better now? And <laughs> if I'm telling that story, everyone was like, you, you're lucky you just get punched again. I was like, yeah, because it's like, hey, you punched my friend, you punched me. Do you feel better now? Can you move on with your life as an adult because like, What what do you need to do to prove here to go beat up my friend who was just trying to exit the bathroom? But yeah, so point being, um, this stuff happens, man. And, you know, we've seen a ton of these videos around like NFL games, NBA games, uh, where guys are just getting rowdy, people just get stalked in the face. But yeah, I think it was a very similar reaction because I had, you know, like not hands up in a fighting way, hands up in like a calming way and just got stuck. And it's like, okay, man, like here we go. So that's my story.
0: To be clear, you did not miss a couple of pots because you were in any sort of legal trouble or. No, anything
1: like yeah, that. I was just like concussion,
0: <laughs> full on concussion. I was,
1: I was like uh, looking at my screen, kind of seeing double. I was like, I'm gonna mess up some quarterback's name and get hate mail. I was like, I gotta lay low for a couple of days and really like reassess myself.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's not the type of thing that, I, in the in the heat of the moment, I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say on these live airwaves like, yeah, Will got punched uh, in the face at an NBA game last (laughs) night, so he's not gonna be able to make it today. (laughs) Didn't wanna go there, but you know what? As you said, stuff happens. And sometimes people who don't think they would ever be in a spot like that are suddenly in that spot. I haven't been in that spot. I've been in scrums like when I was younger, but nothing post-college. I've never had anyone land a slap or a punch on me. I've never done it to anyone else. I love shadow boxing. Um, mm-hmm. That's great. I've done some boxing training sessions as well, but I have always said I would never want to fight. I don't even want to do any of the MMA stuff because I don't want to eat a punch. <laughs> I never want. to Yeah. It doesn't look like it. It does not look like the juice is worth the squeeze at all. Just doesn't for me. Um, before we switch to the Facebook group, I think we can all agree on something the single stupidest punch to throw this isn't even close it's in a football game throwing a punch at a dude who was wearing a helmet yes 100 percent. i was thinking about this it might be the most instant form of regret there is of anything of anything you can possibly do think about how few things you can have regret within two seconds because best case scenario you make contact with the helmet it is a stone-cold lock that the puncher is going to be in more pain than the punchy. Mm-hmm. I, if, so, if someone has been in this type of situation, correct me if, if I'm wrong here. But I honestly think that's why we see some football players spit. <laughs> I really do. It's <laughs> disgusting. I'm not condoning it. It's more it. effective, though. You're not wrong. It is more effective. It, it will at least get a net positive for the, for the spitter in terms of inflicting harm on the other person compared to a punch. Yeah, it's a wimp move. I get it. But it's effective. And that's what you're all that's what you're trying to do, but you never know how you're gonna react in that specific moment.
1: I will say another dumb punch is the guy who tries to sucker punch the other guy and then realizes that the other guy is built different. Those are always the best videos oh on Twitter. Is when the sucker punch guy like like winds up throws all of his body behind a punch and this dude just eats it, looks back at him and laughs, and it's like, ah, <laughs>
0: oh no. <laughs> so the fight scene is super bad. The guys, they step outside at the house party and he just like takes a massive swing at him. He's like, Mark, 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 Mark. Tiger got out of the cage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he just gets, yeah. Oh, I've got a warrant out worn out for my arrest for nonviolent crime. <laughs> <laughs> the movie's unbelievable. Yes, love um, it. Anyway, what were we talking about? Oh, yes, Facebook group. Uh, questions that I asked. Have you ever been in a fight as an adult? Have you ever taken a punch slash slap? We'll open it up to that. And then what would make you punch slash slap someone for your significant other? Also, the Oscars slap being real, yeah or no. We got a few responses here. Uh, A couple of these are really, really good. Um, Let's start with this from Caleb Tillman. Caleb says, as a former backyard wrestler slash current wrestling fan, I know uh, a work when I see one. Like professional <laughs> wrestling, yeah. the slap may have been real, but the events were definitely staged to grab headlines. And hey, it worked good for them. That's, that's a, an important distinction here. I think the slap was real. I don't think there's any way it was faked um, in terms of like, you know, the movie style thing, right? Where you're kind of going into the slap. I, don't, I think that's out the window. I think we could all agree Right. That, that's, that that's real. If you're saying this is fake, you're saying what Caleb is. You're saying the circumstances around it, surrounding it led to that moment. It was always going to be timed with the joke that Chris Rock made about Jada Pinkett Smith and the alopecia. And that, that's what was going to trigger Will Smith in this sort of way. Man, I just don't think so. He <laughs> brings up a perfectly great point and he is, way more experience in this this world than than I am as a former backyard wrestler slash current wrestling fan. Um, Look, the reaction after sitting down, when he says it again, when he says it again, and he goes to that level, that's what makes me think it's real, right? If it's just one thing and then he sits down and then all right, you kind of move on and then everybody kind of is wondering like what in the world is going on, but the fact that he kept continuing to say it and if you've heard the unedited version of it. Right, oh that unedited version its wild man. Unbelievable. Do they not have, um, like, is, are they not able to edit that in Japan? Like, are those the airways?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Japan, very pro-censorship, but not
0: in this moment. Yeah, can you imagine knowing English in Japan and watching that just on live TV? Unreal. <laughs> that translator was incredible. fighting for her life, bro. <laughs> oh, gosh. What a moment. You're like, yeah, whatever. It's the Oscars. Everybody keeps it pretty clean. And then, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> that has been a misunderstanding. Late. Oh, gosh. Um, Devin Waters. Actually, you know what? Let's save that one for last because Devin's got a great response here. Um, okay, so this one is from. Jr. Petty John, he corrected us, by the way. I've been calling him Junior Petty John. It is just Jr. Petty John, my mm-hmm. bad. Um, Jr. says, I have not been in a fight as an adult. Yeah, I'm not a fan of being punched. I don't think anything verbal would be worth it. I'm aware of the phrase, talk, blank, get hit. Um, but that seems silly. The slap was real. Who knows about the circumstances around it? A lot of people have pointed out that Will Smith defending his wife, which open marriage, weird deal there, um, that that made everything justified and that anybody would do the same exact thing. I'm just gonna say right here, (laughs) there is no chance, no chance whatsoever that in front of millions of people, if someone was standing on stage roasting my wife, that I would get up there and think to myself, this man needs a slap.
1: Yeah, like in that environment too, like it's not like someone like took the mic and started like personally attacking her. It was like, they're all kind of just Oscar jokes. You know what I'm saying? Like not being mean, but it's like, yeah, was that one of the more distasteful jokes of the night? Probably. Is it one of the most distasteful in Oscar history? Probably not,
0: you know what I'm saying? Like it's pretty pretty standard joke, yeah. I think, I think 99% of us, I shouldn't say 99%, I shouldn't assume anything. But I think the vast majority of us would, if we were in that situation, if we really had a problem with it, we'd probably just find Chris Rock off to the side. Right, not, yeah. Not not when airwaves are going. And maybe you would confront him there, but probably not when the cameras are rolling. And maybe that's the pushback with some of this, because most of us would do that. And we wouldn't do this on live television, and that's what people are defaulting to is why this was all rigged and whatnot. But. Um, I've never been prompted to physical violence from my wife who by the way can handle herself just fine. All right. She's taken, she's taken the self-defense classes. She can throw a hammer punch. All right. Lauren can handle herself just fine. If my services were needed to step in and defend her honor, which I don't even feel good saying that, um, physical violence probably wouldn't be the first place I would look. I would have no problem getting in the face of somebody jawing with them. Um, but that just wouldn't be my initial reaction. I don't know what would what would prompt me to to get physical with somebody. They would have to get physical with me first, I think. They right. would have to say stuff and get physical with me. So I guess I am just the ultimate beta in this situation is what I'm realizing. Well,
1: first off, if you're if you're that's what people like kinda don't get about these situations. Like if you're fine with getting in someone's face, you're gonna get punched. <laughs> Good so point. You, you, so you need to be aware that like if your line is I'm not gonna punch you, but I'm gonna get in your face, you're gonna get punched, then you're gonna make that second decision. So you're just gonna be ready there. But yeah, I mean, like for me personally, it's like I feel like you know, like like catcalling or whatever is one thing. Like you know me, I'm pretty quick, so like people have done that to Brittany, and I'll just say something meaner back to them, and they look stupid. It's never really been like a let's scrap. I've had people touch Brittany, and I'll get weird about it. Like not Ooh. weird, but I'll like I'll get like like push him off and like be like, hey, like like what's up? But yeah, like like I said, it's different if it's like a creepy guy at a bar versus like a guy at the Oscars. Like I feel like that's a pretty big like, hey, that creepy guy at the bar might actually have some charges on him. I'm pretty sure Chris Rock does it. You know what I'm saying? Like the worst that's gonna go with the Oscars. 100% until you punch them is a joke but usually it's a preventative action it's like oh if you say this to my girl and then I don't do anything you might do something else that's usually where that comes from
0: that yeah, Chris Taker uh, Chris Taker Chris Rock was caretaker in Yard, okay? right like he was he was essentially the equipment manager <laughs> in, a, <laughs> in a movie about prison football okay mm-hmm. he's not exactly going to to be in that spot to defend himself and maybe the other person would make an impact on that you gotta but, wonder too like what if that's like I mean, if that's The Rock, do you think he's it on The Rock? I don't think The Rock is allowed to swing at anyone. No, but I'm saying like, oh, no way, no way. If it's Chris Rock, like, Chris
1: Rock, I love Chris Rock, smaller guy, and not like, no, there's like a physical specimen or whatever. If that's The Rock, if that's The Rock says Rock, and he says that same joke, do you think he's getting swung on?
0: <laughs> Dwayne, Dwayne uh, The Rock Johnson and Chris Rock, just slightly different. Right. I, I think Chris Rock, Kevin Hart, <laughs> um, who's a, who's a small, Dane Cook. Oh, how many people would love to do that to Dane Cook? Right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <Just> um, throwback. <laughs> yeah, throwback. There's a 2000s reference that maybe not many people get. Check um, check us out my MySpace. That's yeah, so. uh, yeah the, you're right though. The, the size of the individual making the comment. Uh, definitely would make an impact. Will Smith had reach on, on Chris Rock.
1: Right. <laughs> like There was, there was no, no chance. Like That was going to go as far as Will Smith was going to escalate. It. You know what I'm saying? There was no yeah. danger of like, oh, Chris Rock is going to swing back. <laughs> like
0: he, he just turned around and walked the other way too. That's kind of the amazing thing. Right. It wasn't like he's got up there to fight. I know we're breaking this down way more than we probably should, but it was a fascinating moment. Right. Um, I, I don't think that there was any thought whatsoever that he would do anything to fight back or that he would defend himself. What if he missed? What if he missed? Do you take a second swing?
1: I. <laughs> good, yeah, good question. I, mean, I feel like I you know. can't miss
0: if you're that close.
1: You've already committed to walking up there. You got to just,
0: yeah. That, man. You talk about, like, the get-off speed that he had on that slap. <laughs> Unreal. We I mean, need
1: science on the most messed
0: up. NFL draft scouts are just salivating. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's end with this one. This is, this is a good one from Devin Waters. Devin uh, says... Have, uh, answers the question, have you ever been in a fight as an adult? He says, I work in a prison and have been in more than I, than I can count. Oh. Some I wanted, most I didn't. All right. Answers the question, uh, have you ever taken a punch slash slap? I've taken a couple because my reflexes are slower than molasses. Fortunately, <laughs> never been knocked down or out. Uh, stumbled a couple times, but always come back pushing forward. I got hit with a boot once. Oh, I felt like that was a an opportunity. Devin, we need that story, man. Yeah. can't just drop a line. Hit by a boot once. Move on to the next thing.
1: Also, like, Indy what's your that. day like after that? Like, do you like go home and your wife's like, "Hey, like, time to take out the trash." You're like, "Sorry, I got hit in the face with a boot today. I think I'm just gonna watch some uh, sports." Center. <laughs> like, I- that sounds horrible. Like, just living
0: your life after that. How do you just go back to like whatever you were doing? Our guy's built differently than both of us. Um, if, if both of us go through a situation like that, we're going home and we're we're updating the resume. We're, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's true, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah. So a boot on me once.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm hopping on Indeed, seeing what's out there, seeing the market. <laughs> that that Talk about guys who can who can take a punch or something like that. But dang, I mean, that's a that's a tough thing to, to have to come back to, knowing that the, the scenario is likely going to repeat itself. He also had this. Um, to answer the question, what would you, what would make you slap slash punch someone for your significant other? Uh, he said, would have to be a real threat to her, not just words, but an actual believable threat. Um, and then he is a believer that the Oscar slap was real. Not much of a slap, but it was real, I guess.
1: <laughs> to, this,
0: to him, that was nothing. That was a Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, how much worse would it have been if it had been close fisted?
1: I gotta be worse, right? I mean, I feel like, like I said, the fact that he recovered in the way that he did is still shocking to me. I feel like Will didn't get all, get all that one, but yeah, no, I think I think his point is great though. It's kind of like exactly what I said earlier. Is like, yeah, like if it's a real threat, that's when you neutralize the threat. Doesn't seem like there was a threat actually happening on the stage though.
0: Do slaps hurt? People are wondering. People are, People wondering, are wondering slaps on the hot seat. Look, I watched that bellhop guy at the end of Home Alone two take a slap to the face from Mrs. McAllister. All right, <laughs> she got him clean on that one, and she had the vengeance of a of a mother scorned. All right, and he just had a little little tear roll down. He was like, "Do bundle up; it's awfully cold." He was Listen, fine. Listen,
1: you thought the Home Alone two Evans would stop in December, <laughs> but it
0: is almost <laughs> April; <laughs> they're still coming, buddy. It is a year round movie. People that don't watch that. During, you know, March, uh, come on, like, when that when that comes on, um, what is it, like, uh, oh, what, I changed the name of the channel, ABC Family, yeah. whatever the new name for it is. When that comes on, every single time, that's getting a watch from your boy. All right, I think that covers it, fighting.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, Devon, if you or Devin, if you want to respond to your comment and just kind yes. of give us a little bit more detail, please, I am fascinated by this. That. You're a king for dealing with that, and yeah, just... Just keep crushing it at that.
0: Man, we need people like you, man. Exactly,
1: um, yeah. Thicker skin than I have,
0: for sure. No doubt about it whatsoever. That's incredible. Uh, if you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. If you have not already, subscribe to College Football Uncensored as well. Go subscribe to the Saturday Down South YouTube channel as well. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name red on air with Figuring It Out or Golden Brush. Thanks, guys. Uh, enjoy the Final Four. Talk soon.